Welcome to Cathedral Talk, a podcast about architecture and Minecraft, where we converse to save Notre Dame. Yeah, so Zach, you remember how uh, uh, we made a whole joke about you need to give me your address? Hey, Zach, could I get your address? It's 12345 Main Street, any town, square state, United States. It was literally going to be my question. I was like, so Zach, are you enjoying David's Christmas present? Uh, by the time people listen to this, hopefully he is. <laughs> oh, uh, in uh, less humiliating news, I did read some of the books that my father-in-law <laughs> gave me so less humiliating less humiliating what did you learn zach what cathedrals did you learn about i i want to know i assume the linux cathedrals yeah i was i read the programming book (laughs) (laughs) the linux cathedral but i got another cathedral book in the mail from him as well so now i have even more it's just christmas all year round with this guy this is great he's a gregarious individual generous and the father of my wife so a a wonderful array of compliments bestowed upon him Mm, definitely but i still have only read one of his books you got a year until the next christmas just like me i have a year to get you your shirt yeah teach us one thing that you you learned about a cathedral from one of these books i thought i was explicit that the the only book that i read was the linux book yeah tom didn't pick up on that no i i did i forgot but i did (laughs) And I want to learn one thing about a Linux cathedral. T- teach me. A Linux cathedral. Well, it was a metaphor. Uh, in in the context of this recording, uh, David and I have just listened to the episode that uh, we're <laughs> referring to. It's true. We have more memory of what we actually talked about than usual. Exactly. But I don't think Tom has listened to it. I mean, I edited it. It doesn't mean you listened to it. <laughs> Not, that's, that's true. But it's a, about... Uh, whether or not you spend a lot of time architecting a solution in programming or you spend a little bit of time over a long period and then just let the architecture form naturally over time. Oh, okay. So this has been such a big break. I don't want to bloviate on the cathedral and the bazaar. Tom's students listen to this. That's right. That's right. This is going to be on your final. Oh, wait. This is like coming out in the summer. This will come out after their final. (laughs) Yeah. My kids take the AP calculus test in just a week and a half. And I was like, what should we watch as a movie this year after the AP test is over? Uh, you know, it was a little celebration. And your students were like, you just recently uploaded videos to YouTube, that's, that's didn't right. you, Tom? <laughs> so I was like, maybe. Let us watch that. Watch the video podcast of Cathedral Talk. That's right, folks. If you didn't already know, we have now uploaded our first two episodes from long ago in the primordial past of um, Cathedral Talk 1, Saving Notre Dame, and Cathedral Talk 2, Ship of Theseus, which we have put some nifty graphics together for. Uh, Optional graphics, of course, not required, but another option. It's required reading for Tom's students. Okay, required. Required. Right. All of this is required. That's right. Over the summer, this is... This might come out at the end of summer, but if you haven't listened to all the podcast episodes, they will be on your introductory quiz upon uh, attending Tom's class. Yeah. 
And uh, I, I will point out that uh, the intention is to put out more video versions of the past episodes that we've done at no particular speed. I'm not trying to be, keep myself beholden to a particular release schedule. And I, as a side tangent here, David, are we going to announce that we're both, well, you're a father 1.0 and I'm a father 2.0? Mostly depends on if these baby noises come through, and I think they probably have been. Okay, well... Uh, in that case, we will also point that one of the reasons that, at least as far as our recordings were concerned, we took a small break because both David and I recently had more babies born. So uh, we are dealing with a little more sleep deprivation than usual. And of course, this also affects our scheduling for recording and for video editing. But the intention is to uh, plow on ahead. And with that out of the bag, uh, apologies for any random cooing noises in the background. There's a th- you wouldn't apologize for that. That's that's cute. Uh, fair enough. Uh, the cooing is going to become the most interesting part about our podcasts going forward. I guess maybe I should apologize for, for to people who think I'm being a bad dad. I don't know. I'm, I'm recording a podcast with the kid in the room. It's nighttime. Mom's in bed. Kid's asleep. Your job is to make sure mom continues to sleep and kid continues to also sleep to let mom sleep. Yeah, and the best way to do that is definitely record a podcast around it. Is the kid awake? Uh, no. Right? No. No. Then this this is fine. This is good. My kid happens to not be my actually I should say this is my second kid, but my my one kid, my first kid's up in bed and then my second kid is actually with mom right now. So I have the next couple hours off. So I am luckier than David. Oh, also, I will mention that if I sound a little different, it's because we all have been recovering from a very terrible cold that passed through our house a few weeks ago, and my voice still isn't quite normal. I wasn't sure who you were including as we there for a second. That was confusing. Oh, me? Am I part of your household? You said we, and it was confusing because we usually refers to the three of us. Yeah, yeah, right. Okay, when I said we, I meant we as in my my immediate family in my house. Loyal listeners to this podcast will remember Tom's royal use of we encompassing amorphous groups of people very amorphous but isn't isn't it normal like you know when we when we go to the moon which what we who's we when we go when we what when we went to the moon all of humanity all of humanity went to the moon right you know that's normal that's i'm not the only one that says that together right i don't hmm we have not colonized mars yet but we will you and i specifically So, we have a few updates to the renovation of Notre Dame in Paris. Uh, As we mentioned, I believe, in the last episode, uh, we have passed the third anniversary of the fire now. And uh, more media came out uh, in France about the progress that they've been making. There's still so much that needs to be started over there. There's really none of the reconstruction as far as the stonework has been done yet. They're still categorizing and classifying and trying to figure out where the old stones go and locating new stones that'll go well with the old stones when they rebuild the vaults. Uh, but they have, they've also made a lot of interesting progress, though, on a lot of the interior walls. They've done extensive cleaning. Uh, they've been, as we sort of were surmising... Um, They have been cleaning and the inside is going to be much brighter than it used to be, but it doesn't sound like, to my joy, it doesn't sound like they're going to be like whitewashing like I was worried like they did at Chart. Instead, it sounds like they're just going to be cleaning it quite extensively. And uh, that is the effect I was hoping to see, 
no weird false joints. Yeah, they said that in the video they were going to be getting rid of some of the lead dust that it has accumulated, and it's the the first major dusting since the 19th century. And I felt good about the fact that I haven't dusted my house in a better part of the year so if i get that bad i thought you were gonna say also it's also since the 19th century yeah I, this house was dust in the 19th century <laughs> stardust exactly in the reconstruction efforts one of the things that i've been contemplating in terms of you know there to as a reminder there they have a goal in mind of trying to get it ready to go before the paris olympics in 2024 but which I'll just call a spade a spade. Yeah. No way that's happening. No. Uh, no it's one, not going to happen. No one seems to want to outright say that. So I'll do it. Right. I'll be the one to take credit. You're, you're not the only one. But again, you you are our, you're, you're our reporter on the scene as Schrodinger, David. So uh, I will, will, will allow you to be the one to make the statement on the podcast. I think both of you took way more physics than me to realize that that metaphor made no sense. <laughs> yep uh one of the things i've been thinking about in terms of the restoration though as you're saying they haven't actually begun the rebuilding work yet it's all kind of been the prep work and and getting things ready to go kind of like Uh, minecraft yeah seriously your (laughs) your minecraft Um, right my minecraft one of the things i've been contemplating is the speed that they're able to do in modern day versus what it would have been if something similar happened in olden times either for renovation restoration or just building in the first place and you know i think it's obvious that modern building techniques allow you to do certain things much faster but I was also contemplating whether modern sensibilities would actually impede how quickly you could do things mm. compared to how it would have been in the past. Mm-hmm. For almost from uh, this is guesswork. I'm not going to claim that I know uh, this definitively, but the fact that we know too much now mm, yeah. means that we have to weigh a lot of different considerations yeah. um, than would have had to have been considered in the past. Uh, you know, while some of that can be done with computers and, and such, not everything can be and all the very particular things that they're having to think about. Whereas in the past, you know, I'm sure a lot of it was just like, man, that's fine. Let's just do that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and not necessarily having to think with the granularity that modern i don't know bureaucracy i guess mm-hmm. um uh, is requires well we have mentioned on the podcast before the great uh, restorer of notre dame ville le duc and he uh was in the mid 19th century spurred on of course by victor hugo's hunchback of notre dame novel the public became happy with restoring notre dame again rather than wanting to tear it down but there was a lot more freedom back then. Your, your intuition, I think, is spot on uh, because Ville-le-Duc did not just do a restoration of Notre Dame to its exact state, you know, in the early 13th and 14th centuries. He did do some just completely new things that had never been done. He added a lot of new gargoyles and grotesques that in certain places that had just never been before. And he also, in particular, I've mentioned this a few times, especially when we've talked about some of the interior spaces of Notre Dame. We've mentioned the clearstory windows, the tall windows in the upper half of the nave. And um, at Notre Dame, there used to be these tiny little circular oculi windows uh, with smaller clearstory windows on top. It was sort of an earlier way they used to break it up. And then in around like, I think the 13th, 14th century, they decided to enlarge the windows to make more light flood into the space. Uh, but then Ville-le-Duc comes along several centuries later, and when he's doing this restoration, he's like, oh, there used to be those ocular windows, 
and he decides to just knock out some of the stained glass in some of the space around the transept clerestory windows. And he just replaces it again with sort of newly created ocular windows that are supposed to mimic what was once there. But in doing that, he destroys windows that have been in place for several centuries. Hmm. And that is exactly the sort of thing that like they would never nobody would be allowed to do with any modern restoration project of a multiple right. century old building right we're not allowed to just make big grandiose we're going to change this back to some other you know thing right well two things of that first off uh let me say i think my initial tone might have come across as like all oh, nostalgic for the good old days when you could just do whatever you wanted. That wasn't what my intent was at all. Uh, no, it didn't sound uh, like that to me. All right. No, I, I didn't. I, I was your Just a commentary on, on differences of, of the past to, to, to today. But then second, when you reminding me of, of Ilya Le Duc, do you know how long his restoration took? That was what was curious to me, right? Because the current timeline for this restoration is five years, right? Yeah. And I imagine this one is far more massive than that one was, but I, I don't know. That's yeah. The, I'm not sure. That's a guess. That's a good question. I know it's mid-19th century, but I don't actually have exact years. Maybe I'll try to look that up while we're talking today, and I'll have an answer for you. Or if not this time, sometime soon. That's a great question. Obviously, the technology would have been very different in you know the 1800s. And of course, he, uh, and, uh, he is also the person who built the spire that we were all familiar with that then was destroyed in the fire even though there was a previous spire that was shorter and stubbier in the same spot before it, uh, but it was falling down, so they took it down and then put up Ville Leduc's spire. This one article I'm seeing says Ville Leduc invented modern restoration. <laughs> so that might be, he might be kind of an interesting uh, transition point. Episode dedicated yeah. just to him. I think I think you're right. Uh, he would be a great focal point to do a future episode on. Well, I was saying a, a transition point of the old do whatever you want and modern more limited restoration stuff mm. well from from what i remember again hearing from what i've watched and read i think when people say he's sort of one of the great fathers of uh modern restoration projects i i guess the ideas before like what you would do with an old building when you were supposedly restoring it is you wouldn't really be restoring it per se you would often just try to fix it up and make it functional for the needs of the present day, whereas Ville-le-Duc took it from the approach at Notre Dame, at least, of saying, we want to retroactively transform this building into something of the past, which was sort of a new way of thinking about things. All right. So I'm seeing that the commissioning of the restoration was in 1842. And I think I saw that it started a couple of years after that in earnest. And then it finished in 1864 so we're talking 20 22 years yeah actually i when i just went to wikipedia just now they also now have a little timeline for notre dame i just actually i should have thought of this early just go to notre dame and see its timeline and this is yeah 1844 to 1864 major restoration by jean baptiste le Souf and eugene ville le duc so yeah five years would be a lot faster than that yeah now of course again technology uh, one other thing that uh, has come to light recently in the restoration efforts, I think the biggest news that's made the headlines the most is that they're currently building the extensive scaffolding under the crossing where the nave meets the transept. 
and the extensive scaffolding down there is going to be what's going to be in place to help build the new spire and the new vault for the new crossing. And in order to build all that scaffolding, it's supposed to hold many, many tons of weight well, as they you know, go through this process. They had to check the floor to make sure that the floor was uh, capable of withstanding all that weight as they go through this new phase. And so then they had to dig up the floor tiles. And then, of course, when they dug up the floor, they discovered a sarcophagus in the floor. And uh, everybody got super excited, especially the archaeologists. And I, as of the recording of this podcast, from what I know, I don't think they've opened the sarcophagus yet. Um, I think they're slowly, you know, cautiously trying to decide how to um, uh, treat it appropriately <laughs> and respectfully. And uh, they, I think they sent in like a little camera just to take some pictures on the inside. And they found some like dead plants and some other matter in there. Uh, but, you know, they also found like, Lots of artwork that had been buried in the floor. And I think they also found pieces of the root screen, which is the old way they used to partition the interior spaces of cathedrals. Uh, it sounds a little strange to us in modern day, but they used to take old cathedrals and really break them up into almost different sections so that they would keep the clergy isolated from the normal riffraff. Common, yeah, the riffraff. And, you know, at one point, probably somewhere in, you know, the Enlightenment or somewhere in there, somebody said, hey, wait a minute, maybe we shouldn't uh, completely isolate uh, the different populations. Uh, but there used to be this screen that would basically break off the different sections of the cathedral and that was buried in the floor, too, or at least parts of it were. So lots of new discoveries being unearthed. So why don't they take those little felt... Uh, things that you put on the bottom of your furniture to prevent scratching the floor if they were so worried about damaging it. Oh, it wasn't It wasn't that they were worried about damaging the floor. They were worried that the floor would cave in. I had to remove those things from my dining room chairs because they kept sliding off and then the adhesive would get onto my hardwood floor and then leave adhesive residue, ultimately worse than the scratches that I was supposedly preventing. So that's why they didn't do that. It didn't adhere your chair to the floor? No, the, the, the little felt thing came off and then the adhesive got everywhere. It was gross. It was a little gross. Yeah, and then the chair sticks to the floor. It's not double-sided adhesive. Because the adhesive is on the floor. Well, no, it's just sticky. Well, it's not that kind of... It's, it's sticky in one direction, not the direction I want it to be. One-sided stickiness. That's such a weird concept. That's what regular scotch tape is. <laughs> well, it's it's uh it's double-sided sticky on one side of the plastic and, and then it's there's no sticky on the other side of the plastic. Yeah. I think I've lost something. <laughs> <laughs> Your stickiness. My patience. Uh Your patience. what I was going to say about the the archaeo uh, the archaeological finds is that connecting that back to the previous topic of timeline I think it's interesting that uh, they are having to make decisions about what to prioritize. Yeah. Do we want to spend more time on these uh, amazing archaeological <laughs> finds or do we want to get moving along with the restoration? I think that I think the video we, we watched said something about how the archaeologists were given one extension, but they weren't get, being given any more. Yeah, they were giving us another one. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, balancing these competing demands uh, for so many different intellectual exercises. Right. The 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 archaeologists are definitely not the same people as the actual restorers. You know, these are different groups of people that are all competing for the same space. So um, in the end, like the I'm sure the, the the restoration project will ultimately dictate how much time the archaeologists get. But 
I think it's a question of now, you know, where do, do they move the sarcophagus? Do they put it somewhere else? They may already have by now, actually. I'm not sure. I'll have to check again. You don't think it's a load-bearing sarcophagus? <laughs> but then also, do they return it, you know, after they've done whatever, you know, research? Because it is a you know, the remains of a person who was buried, supposedly with honor. Yeah, because that's relevant to whether we care about researching them or not. <laughs> well, I mean, there was, I think I read a quote from one archaeologist who said, we have to remember that the sarcophagus is not an artifact. It is... And what should not be treated as an artifact, it should be treated with respect. So I totally get that. But w- but would that archaeologist be as blasé like, well, this person was buried in dishonor, so we don't care. <laughs> well, I mean, it is a question like how far back does a archaeological find have to go in time before like the remain human remains are not really we're not worried about that anymore. You know, Neanderthals. When does it start being archaeology and cease being grave robbing? Yes, exactly. 1994. Thank you. You're welcome. There's your answer. That was like, we asked so many questions on this podcast (laughs) and finally an answer. (laughs) It's only been 18 episodes. Finally an answer. But uh, I am excited because I, I do expect to see more work accelerate. And uh, again, the good news to me was that in particular hearing that they are cleaning the inside, which I'm happy with. But again, I got no indication that there was an, an intention to go crazy like they did at Chart and repaint the interior. I just think there's not enough time. Well, that, but also, you know, there were lots of other reasons, like the organist said. Yeah, and, I know, I know. you know, I, I, in a lot of ways, I'm expecting that it'll be similar probably to the interior of our Washington National Cathedral, which is cleaner, brighter, because it's just so much newer. Is it brighter? I feel like that's a pretty dark cathedral, too. It's harder to judge because, again, as a modern cathedral built only in the last hundred years, that uh, it has so much artificial lighting inside that it's a little bit hard to judge how much of the light is natural and how much of it's artificial. But it's got so much stained glass that uh, it's like the National Cathedral here in D.C. has probably more stained glass than most medieval cathedrals because it was never bombed out in world wars, uh, whereas a lot of the medieval cathedrals usually have some stained glass in their large windows, but then other windows are just white windows because that original glass was lost a long time ago. And the effect is that you get a mixture of some brighter light and some color light and that plays with the ambience of the space. Yeah, and the National Cathedral being all stained glass, that definitely darkens it. It darkens it, exactly. It's But it's also beautiful. So, you know, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. We'll talk about the National Cathedral sometime, too. I'm looking forward to that episode. Oh, we have. Mm-hmm. Oh, but so much more to say. Woodrow Wilson, that's what's more to say. All right, let's go to New York City. Who wants to go to New York City? Uh, Is the pandemic over? Um... Sure. Yeah, let's say it's over. Okay, then yeah, I'll go. Yeah. Oh man, we're going to get tagged on Spotify for uh uh true facts on COVID. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> are we on Spotify? That's where I listen to it. We yeah, we are on Spotify. Yeah. Oh. Oh, you you listen you listen to it on Spotify and not on Well, I don't actually I don't actually listen to it when it's released. I listen to it before it's edited, but I download it on Spotify. Okay, there we go. I actually downloaded it on Spotify and Apple Podcasts, so we have one fewer listener than you think we do. Oh, okay. Well, actually, too, because I told my wife to, like, listen to it. Well, it's, you know, it was actually funny. My wife um, was just perusing Spotify the other night, and I couldn't believe it. She said, oh, my goodness, look at what popped up on my recommendeds list. And their front and center was Cathedral Talk. And I was like, 
this is magical. How 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 did Wait. how did you get a recommendation for a cathedral talk? I thought you just said that she already subscribed to it. No, she hadn't. She's not on Spotify. She had subscribed to it, I think, on Apple. So this was unrelated. So so my question is is like is Apple talking to Spotify and giving like sharing information on you know yeah. common common huh. th- things that you would want to watch or are they just watching the IP address here and realizing that something's going on with Cathedral Talk so maybe other occupants of our house should also listen to Cathedral Talk or you know if it really was a genuine recommendation. Nope, I can promise you it wasn't that one. Not based on what I know about your wife's interests. Oh, man. I can't laugh. I'm going to cough. Okay. What's in New York City? All right. Let's go to New York City. We are going to take a look today at St. Patrick's Cathedral in New York City, which is a church that was built, again, also in the mid-19th century, so actually somewhat contemporary to the work that Ville le Duc was doing at Notre Dame. But this is, of course, in the United States, and this was a cathedral being built from the ground up. It is a Gothic revival building, generally buildings that were built hundreds of years later after the Gothic age in the Middle Ages. Uh, They wouldn't be said they're true Gothic. They're usually referred to as Gothic revival or neo-Gothic, I think mostly just to differentiate the different periods of time. But there's also some large differences that we're going to talk today about St. Patrick's Cathedral versus Gothic architecture. Uh, but first of all, I'm curious, have either of you ever seen St. Patrick's Cathedral in New York City before? Yeah, I played Spider-Man on my PS5. That would be one way. My web swung around. It was fun. Oh, actually, I, that's right. You took me there. Now yeah, I yeah. remember. I said, take me to St. Patrick's Cathedral, yeah, yeah. and you did it. That's right. Thank you. Yeah. That was that was fun. That was fun. Get a web swing around it. Zach, you, you had a hard time in episode one remembering you've been to the Empire State Building, so I'm going to guess that you don't have any recollection if you've ever been to St. Patrick's Cathedral. Yeah, I can't. I can't say that I remember mm-hmm. having been there, um, but who knows? Yeah, I, I'm looking where it is. It's in Midtown East. I may have been in Midtown East. It's, I mean, it's definitely way. It's, it's pretty, pretty central. You know, it's, 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 it's not. You know, on the outskirts of New York City, in any way, it's it's pretty easy to get to. You'd have to gen- like truly walk past it though to see it, though, right? Because skyscrapers are going to block it from everywhere. Yeah, m- more than half a block away. I th- I think you know we've we've talked from time to time about how certain cathedrals suffer with the modern encroachment of skyscrapers and very uh, anachronistic buildings that are taking up the sort of surrounding cityscape around them. And St. Patrick's Cathedral is one of those cathedrals that is just so overwhelmed by so many New York City skyscrapers that it looks intentional. That it looks like, yeah, we just intentioned for this, like, we're not even trying to, like, sort of compromise. And it's sort of in that way, I almost just sort of am at peace with it and I'm fine with it. Uh, As opposed to some other ones that are just sort of like, well, it feels kind of modern and we tried to negotiate, you know, kind of like a Cologne or at St. Paul's. You associate New York City, at least I do, Mm. with modernity and skyscrapers. Whereas you don't associate some of those other cities that you described with modernity yeah. and skyscrapers. So like, That's true. You, you think about them as more cultural heritage and you want to preserve their cultural heritage in a way that yeah. I don't have that uh, sort of association with New York at all. Yeah. As, as much as London wants to be like New York City, I don't think of London as New York City at all with tons of skyscrapers. Right. London is an interesting half example. I, London, I think, is half old-timey, half modern. Yeah. And St. Paul's kind of 
fits in that where you can see St. Paul's a little bit from yeah. from certain places, but for the most part it's pretty overwhelmed too. It's it's a bit detached, but it's it's like it's like they slowly are they're moving in on it a li- like an yeah. inch at a time. Those skyscrapers are just getting a little bit closer year by year to St. Paul's and it's just you know it's it's getting bad. It's getting bad. But yeah, again, St. Patrick's Cathedral in New York City is just completely dwarfed by all the glass structures surrounding it. And you're just sort of like, okay. It definitely makes the cathedral look way smaller than it actually is. It's, it's not a huge one. Uh, if you compare its dimensions to Notre Dame or to um, a lot of our cathedrals here, if you compare it to our Washington National Cathedral or other places, it's a, it's a relatively smaller one. It's not as long as Notre Dame. Its nave height is exactly the same height as Notre Dame's. And again, Notre Dame is a high nave, but there's some differences there, which we'll talk about soon, too. Uh, but in general, it is a, it is a relatively small, large cathedral, <laughs> if that makes sense. Zach and I both gave faces. Mm-hmm. One of the things about St. Patrick's Cathedral is that it was built on a budget. And if you look at its timelines of construction, it is surprising how quickly it was built. It had a groundbreaking in 1858. And of course, this was right before the Civil War. So just two years in, they had to halt construction around 1860 when the Civil War broke out. And then construction did not resume until 1866. Uh, But then the main portion of the building was completed in 1878, 20 years after its groundbreaking in 1858. The only exception that was still left to be finished were the spires themselves on the facade at the front. And those took another 10 years and were finished in 1888. But overall, you know, we're talking, you know, 30 years from the very start to the very end. And that is very fast as far as any Gothic construction goes. I mean, that's as long as, that's as long as Notre Dame's restoration. Yeah. That we just said, which is very contemporary. It's very contemporary to Notre Dame's restoration. And I mean, also to put things in comparison, again, we've talked, we'll talk more in the future about Washington National Cathedral, but Washington National Cathedral, which is also a Gothic revival church and is considerably larger, it took 83 years to build. That was built from 1907 to 1990. So again, if you compare this, 30 years for St. Patrick's in New York City and 83 years in Washington, you know, that's a big difference. How much time do you think was carved off by not sleeping? By not sleeping? I mean, half, right? Nighttime? Yeah. Yeah. Did they not sleep back then? I mean, no one in New York City sleeps. The city that never sleeps. Oh, oh, you're talking. Okay. I see what you're saying there. I, I'm following, you know, I was a little slow, but I get it. A few other interesting things about the um, the construction is that... Unlike most cathedrals that we know that were built out of limestone, the outside of St. Patrick's is actually clad in marble. That is expensive stuff. It's probably one of the most expensive stones out there. Is it expensive Uh, because it's rare or it's because it's heavy or both? um, So I want to do another episode. (laughs) Sorry, Zach. Another question that I'm not going to answer. 1994. I I want to have a a topic episode where we talk about different kinds of stones and building materials. And in fact, if I am lucky enough, I might get a field trip. I might get a specialist to give us some data points to discuss sometime in the future. I might have a contact or two with a mason. So I, I would like to have that topic in the future. But from what I know, marble is actually, I think... I don't know if subset is the right word, but 
Marble is like a specialized kind of limestone. It actually, there's some kind of, again, this might not be quite right, but there's some kind of like crystallation process or some kind of compression process that basically transforms your general run-of-the-mill limestone into an even more fancy, ornate marble. And the marble that they got, again, it was debated. They weren't sure if they were going to use it at first. They thought about using granite as one other option when they built it at first. But they said, no, we want that beautiful white exterior. And they went for it. And it is beautiful on the outside, but it did come with a cost. And the cost is that they ran out of money. They didn't have enough money to finish it. And instead, the inside is not made out of stone. At St. Patrick's Cathedral, the inside is primarily made out of plaster and a wood faux vaulted ceiling. Uh, The ceiling is supposed to look like it's made out of limestone, but it's actually not at all. It's made out of plaster and wood. And it is so light that St. Patrick's Cathedral does not even need or have flying buttresses. And I noticed this one day when I was looking at some aerial shots of St. Patrick's Cathedral, and I was like, something's missing. And I was like, there are no flying buttresses. How is that possible? And then I looked it up and I was like, oh, the roof is only made of wood. There's no stone up there at all. Hmm. And then it said, oh, the ceiling is so much lighter, they didn't need flying buttresses. And so there you have it. So other than the fact that it was constructed well after the medieval period in Europe, is the lack of flying buttresses what disqualifies it from being gothic in your mind? <laughs> that is definitely a, a, a central part of my feelings, yeah. But there's more to it than that. But that's definitely a, a significant part. When we went over the aspects of what makes gothic gothic, what other parts are missing from St. Patrick's Cathedral other than flying buttresses? Well... I I was sort of thinking about this, just, you know, it's so strange to think of like the entire vaulted interior being made of wood and plaster. And then I thought to myself, what if what happened to Notre Dame on April 15th, 2019 also happened at St. Patrick's? What would happen? And I'm pretty darn sure if what happened at Notre Dame also happened at St. Patrick's, a fire, There just would be no St. Patrick's. St. Patrick's would have gotten obliterated because it doesn't have a stone vault. We all know now, we were all scared at the time because it looked catastrophic. And again, Notre Dame severely damaged. But David, I remember your first impression the day after the fire at Notre Dame was, it actually looks a lot better in there than I expected it to. When you saw the damaged interior of Notre Dame, and we saw that while some of the vaults fell in, especially underneath where the spire was, Most of the vaults were intact at Notre Dame, and they survived that crazy blaze, and they deflected all of the falling timbers that were burning from falling into the nave and catching the rest of the space on fire. So the Gothic vault was designed to do exactly that. Gothic structures, in addition to their, you know, height and light, they were designed to survive fire. And I think when you take away that principal aspect of, you know, it's no longer made out of stone, it's made out of other stuff, that really removes it from the playbook of Gothic. Well, so I I missed a detail there. You kept saying the vaulting of Gothic cathedrals. What what vaulting is missing from St. Patrick's? It's the material, not the presence or absence. Right. The material. There's actually a terrific New York Times article that we'll link in our show notes that goes over a recent restoration that was done at St. Patrick's. And if you go through some of the details on the ceiling, which again is called vaulting in a cathedral, 
it's supposed to look like stone, but the the sort of ribs of the vaults are, I think, supposed to be primarily plaster. And the webbing, that's sort of the space that connects the different ribs of the vaults, is also plastered wood. And you can see sort of what it looked like before versus what it looked like after this restoration. If you compare what this vault looks like to a true Gothic vault that's made out of stone, you can see that the webbing space in particular is pretty different. So what I'm learning from this is I always kind of thought of Gothic as primarily aesthetic in nature. I understand there were structural things that came about Mm. that led to the Gothic style, but you're implying here that it's aesthetics is actually maybe less of a thing and it's much more the way the building is put together. Well, I mean, I would say equal parts in both ways. Go ahead, Zach. I've just re-listened to episode nine of Height and Light and I don't, I, I, I can't find anything in this, this entire episode that I've listened to <laughs> in the, the course of this recording <laughs> where we're talking about the necessity of the building material as being part of gothic architecture yeah <laughs> yeah i was kind of that's well funny. that's probably a failing on my part but can i just say that zach you're going back and listening to the podcast again you're warming my heart i think tom didn't pick up on the sarcasm once again <laughs> wait oh he didn't i have listened to episode nine. Oh, okay. that's how i i knew it was oh. just a year ago or whatever that was yeah that was a while ago yeah i wasn't actually listening to the podcast while we're recording that would be kind of bizarre no i i i thought that you said that you did recently but i guess i i i never mind although you do mention how we mentioned earlier in this podcast where you were afraid that they were going to do the same whitewashing to notre dame that they did in ron or whatever and that what one of the things that you like about gothic cathedrals is the way that they prominently display limestone so i am saving you from my own criticism of you mm. uh, which is uh you have i feel so saved right now i know right you have extolled the virtues of limestone several times in previous episodes uh never before did you link it yes uh so critically to gothicness it just in the past was just how much you loved it to the definition right (laughs) i i i I think i i probably should retcon some of those earlier episodes and say that in the height and light episode when we said you know what are the principles of gothic technology Again, pointed arches, flying buttresses, vaulted ceilings, and then all to make grand spaces for big clerestory windows with lots of stained glass. That was all under the playbook of, we want to build the thing out of stone. We want to build the thing out of stone because we want the cathedral to be eternal. We want the cathedral to last forever, and it needs to be immune to fire. Most of the cathedrals in Europe are now standing on the place of defunct cathedrals that were once there before them that just happened to burn down in a fire. Were they stone or wooden? So a lot of the cathedrals that were before the Gothic cathedrals might have been Romanesque cathedrals, and there might have been plenty of stone in those constructions, but the big difference is that most of them didn't have big stone vaulted ceilings. Most of them had wooden ceilings that were also very heavy, but then when they would burn, they would come crashing down and bring down most of the building with it. 
So by transforming the ceilings into these stone vaulted ceilings for Gothic architecture, you had a barrier that would protect the main part of the structure. And if the wooden roof above it that was protecting it from, you know, rain and the elements did burn, it would burn off basically like we saw in 2019. It would burn off and fall off the sides and leave the interior mostly intact. So let's transition to this alternate universe where we had added to Gothic architecture this requirement that it is eternal. Right. Do you need to use stone? In medieval times, perhaps you did need to use stone. Could you do a modern, truly Gothic design mm. with steel? Aluminum. This is still the Middle Ages, but we have access to steel. No, 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 no. In, in the Middle Ages, you had to use stone to accomplish right. that new requirement of this has to last for a long time. Yeah. Move forward 400 years. Yeah. You want to check off every single box that makes something gothic. Yeah. Is one of the checkboxes stone or is stone just the way that medieval architects were checking off the box for this needs to last for a long time? So from the medieval architects perspective, who are called master builders, they didn't actually call them architects back then. That's a Lego term. Can you make a Gothic cathedral out of Lego is Zach's question. Could you make a Gothic cathedral out of Lego? <laughs> this is what everyone wants to know. So... As Answer we also, the question, Thomas. I'm working on it. I'm working on it. As as we've also discussed, and as you sort of discovered, Zach, these cathedrals were not called Gothic cathedrals until the Renaissance, right? Remember when we had that brief debate where I thought, oh, I thought it was maybe the Middle Ages and they called it Gothic. I was wrong. Mm -hmm. You were right. It wasn't until the Renaissance that the word Gothic got applied as a critique to the style. Mm -hmm. In the Middle Ages, stone was the material of choice because it was the most durable and the most eternal that they had available. And with all styles, there's a time period um, I would say that there's a time period based on the technology that's available and then what artistic style comes out of that material. And once you transition into other materials like steel and glass and so forth, you can accomplish a lot of those other goals, height and light, but the nature in which you accomplish those goals is very different. And again, since we talked earlier that some of the principal innovations of Gothic are pointed arches, flying buttresses, and vaulted ceilings, and stained glass, many of those elements become obsolete and no longer needed with modern technology. So the Gothic is just the historian's way of referring to these different periods of time and how to refer to the architecture of that Middle Age period. So is that, so you're saying Gothic is, I mean, while well, we have a definition of like what makes something Gothic, but yeah. it, it really is, is primarily referring to a period of history of this building style when it was what you could do with the materials that they had. If so, that, that would be the metaphor in my head would be in music terms, classical music means technically uh the period of oh man let me get this right i think it's like <laughs> oh don't don't yeah good don't luck fall with that into this this hole because there is contemporary classical music being no no produced. i'm gonna get to that i'm gonna get yeah. to that no 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 no. i know that's exactly where i'm taking this i think the technical definition of classical music i think it's about 1680 to like 1840 something like that yeah uh give or take a few decades right um but you can make quote, quote, classical music today mm -hmm. on your computer, on software, 
Yeah. Um, which obviously wouldn't have existed in, in that period. And we would recognize it in the classical style, but it's not it's not what most people would refer to as truly classical because it doesn't actually come from that period. Mm. I don't know if that's a perfect metaphor or not, but I'm I think I think it's a a perfect point of comparison Mm. because I think there is classical music that is being composed today that could confuse people about the period in which it was produced. Yeah. Yeah. Again, I I like the comparison too. I think it's a great way to probe my own thinking on, you know, how do I qualify something as gothic or not? Again, the general colloquial way of sort of making these distinctions, like I said earlier, St. Patrick's is called gothic revival or neo-gothic. Okay. I was wondering if neo-Gothic was a, was a term of art because that's what I was going to use. Yeah, and it's basically just the way of saying this is in homage to the medieval times in which these things used to be built like this. The technology has gone way beyond the need to do it this way, but people like how things ended up with Gothic architecture that they want to mimic it and even follow some of the basic principles even if they're old. And I, I, I think, again, it's okay to have something that uses all the same techniques, but to still give it a different name, because I do think time periods are important. They add a lot of context. Sure. But it's not just a time period. I, I'm not disagreeing with you, but I, I want to add to it. I don't think it's just the time periods that sure. change it from being Gothic to Neo-Gothic. I think the intentions also make a significant difference, even if they're not reflected in the finished artifact itself. Because as you said, if the intentions of Gothic architecture is like, well, we just got a bunch of this stone around. How are we going to make bigger and brighter cathedrals? Uh, We're going to innovate using pointed arches, vaulted ceilings, flying buttresses, right? Those kind of things. Yeah. Uh, You can take all of those uh, implementation details about I want I want flying buttresses I want pointed arches I want vaulted ceilings, but your intentions could be yeah. I want to romanticize this period of history in such a way uh, that may not have actually existed when that history happened uh, in reality, uh, and so your your intentions for making a neo gothic uh, cathedral using the same design principles can lead you to something different uh, than if your design principles were constrained by the technology. Sure. Well, I don't want to go down this tangent too much, but I think this is a great time to at least bring this up a little bit to make, again, a comparison between the Gothic style and other styles that are not Gothic, but maybe still use similar techniques and the same building materials or similar building materials Again, I want to do a whole episode on this church sometime, so we're not going to go down this rabbit hole. There's a famous church, which was on our top 20 list of um, places to visit in episode one. Chichen Itza. <laughs> no. There's a church in... Forbidden Palace. Nope. Eiffel Tower. Eiffel Tower definitely seems like it's trying to be gothic. Yeah. Leaning Tower of Pisa. No. No. Burj Khalifa. Nope. Are you happy I remembered so much from episode one? Your eyes are darting back and forth. I'm not looking at it. You're not looking at it? I'm not looking at it. All right. 
I literally just put up the video episode like a few weeks ago. You can be watching the video episode right now. I'm not watching it right now, but I had I watched With it all? recently. You got me. You oh. got me. I didn't remember from our recording. I remember from the video that all of Tom's students should go watch on YouTube right now. Episode one of Cathedral Talk on YouTube. That's right. You didn't actually say what it was. No, I didn't. We're, we're Did gonna I? guess. <laughs> we're we're going through every single one of them. He he said it. It's in the set of twelve. The set of twenty. Twenty. Same thing. <laughs> they both have twos in them. For very large values of twelve and very small values of twenty. <laughs> Stupid math people. Well, if you go through that list, only so many of them are churches. There really aren't that many churches left on that list. I don't have it in front of me. I don't remember what it's called. We recorded that two years ago. <laughs> Someone didn't watch the newly uploaded video. <laughs> I clicked YouTube. through to give the YouTube algorithm make it thought I watched it. YouTube algorithm knows you skipped through. And now we know too. I know it does. Your dirty I know secret it is out. There's a church in Barcelona, Spain, the Sagrada Familia. Ah, that sounds familiar. Yeah, built by <laughs> the architect Antony Gaudi. <laughs> Pull yourself together, Zach. I got Zach on that one. <laughs> yeah, it was good. It was good. The reason I just wanted to bring this up briefly, and again, this is such an amazing building that's worth not even just one, but probably a few episodes in the future. But the main reason I wanted to bring this up now, the Sagrada Familia in Barcelona is a building built out of stone. And in fact, originally it was being built by an architect who I don't even remember the name of before the main architect Gaudi. It was intended to be another Gothic revival building with a lot of the same techniques, pointed arches, vaulted ceilings, and so forth. But then Gaudi came along, took over the project very early into its construction, and completely reworked everything. Still same kinds of similar, you know, building materials, lots of stone, uh, not so much limestone, but I think a lot of sandstone, if I remember this right, and some brickwork too, just because of what was available. But again, definitely more faithful to the same kind of materials you'd find in a Gothic church than St. Patrick's does with all its wood and plaster. Uh, but the Sagrada Familia does not use flying buttresses, and it really doesn't have pointed arches either. It is a church built entirely of catenary curves. And a catenary curve is the arch that you get from a hanging rope or chain when you connect it from one post to another, and then you flip it upside down. The reason that the shape is a great building shape is that it's very stable. Uh, all the points along the chain are at equilibrium. All the forces are balanced throughout it. And if you just invert it upside down to make an arch, that balanced equilibrium will still be balanced just in the opposite direction. And Gaudi used that as a very new shape and a very new style to build the whole building out of. The Gothic pointed arch is nowhere to be found really in that building, at least not that I can recall. And the Gothic pointed arch is, you know, a very different technique. It was trying to accomplish the same thing, but it was a very different earlier technique for doing that. And so these are buildings that can be divided into different camps. And so I'm bringing this up saying that, you know, it's not just about the stone. The stone is a vital part of it. But again, the style of, again, the arches, the pointed arches and the flying buttresses, these are all things that help you categorize the type of style that applies to Notre Dame and all the others. This this church that Gaudi created, and you're saying it, its style is not Gothic. What style... Did Gaudi make his church? Is it gaudy? 
<laughs> oh, I saw it coming. I didn't know where it was going. Right at you. <laughs> um, I don't know if we've officially given it. Again, we're going to do a whole episode on this. We? Yes, we <laughs> are going to do an episode. All the people on the moon. No, no, no. You said we. If we've officially given it a classification. Humanity, David. Humanity. I don't know if everyone on the moon. Humanity has... I, I will look that up, Zach. I will come up back with another answer for you. Oh, no. No, you're seriously taking my joke. Oh, no. <laughs> Maybe somebody needs to start making a list every time I say, I will look that up for you and get back to you. Because uh, I feel like I've said that a lot recently. At least you say, I will look it up and not we will look it up. That's true. We should give that uh, task to our editor. We should. We and producer should. Yeah. <sighs> Definitely. We should. Tom, do you want to tell our editor and producer to go look this up? <laughs> I'll, I'll leave a memo. Uh, so in terms of, to put one more hypothetical to you. Sure. If tomorrow I went out, raised the money to build a new Gothic cathedral in my backyard. Yep. And let's say I have a, I have. I hope you have a big backyard. Big backyard. Let's just assume I do. Okay. I do not, but let's say I did. Okay. Um, and I, and I followed the. And I hope you don't have zoning problems. Uh, the zoning board loves me. We followed the exact same plans. We followed the exact same plans, mm -hmm. uh, as they did back in, um, 1400s, whatever. Mm -hmm. Same building styles, all limestone, flying buttresses, point arches, the whole works. Yep. Building that style. Would that be a Gothic cathedral because it was built in the 2000s? Um, I think most people would call that neo-Gothic. That's what I was wondering. Yeah, again, that that's neo-Gothic because you, you, you've tried to be as faithful as you can to the style. But again, Gothic is a way of referring not only to the style, but the time period as well. But, but people, again, disagree on everything. And I am perfectly at peace with some people, maybe even myself, saying, sure, it's a Gothic cathedral. I'll call the Washington National Cathedral Gothic cathedral, even though officially it's neo-Gothic, right? Yeah, sure. You know, it's 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 all just ways of categorizing stuff. I, no, I think that I think that's uh, fine and in some ways I think appropriate too because, you know, it's not going to be in the definition of a Gothic cathedral, but, you know, one thing that I would be able to take, even if I built it exactly the same way, one thing I'd be able to take advantage of today is modern shipping. Oh, yeah. Uh, uh, which they wouldn't have had back then, which isn't, you know... Oh, Oh, yeah. That's not going to be in any definition of a Gothic cathedral, but it's definitely an intrinsic part of how they built the thing. Um, uh, and so that reminds me of what we talked about a little bit in the last episode, too, of the the medieval castle that they've been building for 20 years someplace in Europe. I forget where. Whenever that's done, I, I just refer to it as a medieval castle, but even that feels a little wrong because you hear the term medieval castle, you seem like, okay, this has been around for several hundred years. So you are, you are misrepresenting it, if you call it that. Yeah. Uh, Neo-medieval or whatever, like, you know, th that tells you the name exists for a reason. The name is supposed to convey certain information to you. And you've enlightened me a little bit more in terms of what the full term Gothic cathedral is supposed to convey. And it is also supposed to convey a, a period of time. Exactly. I wonder if you took a master builder from medieval times and brought them to 2022 and you said, all right, here's modern architecture. Get yourself familiarized with modern building design and constraints. How would you make a church with modern construction practices. Yeah. I don't think it would look like the churches that they were making. No. And so I think a, a modern cathedral with 
gothic sensibilities and modern construction would look probably a lot more like the the large churches that exist out in the u.s west Mm. yeah which are you know ornate to some degree maybe not not in the gargoyle or what am i trying to the grotesques the words you called them that kind of stuff yeah the gargoyles are the ones that are used for spouts for water and grotesques are often mistaken for gargoyles but grotesques are just crazy statues of stone usually monster looking that are not used for any kind of practical water remediation purpose but i i don't i don't necessarily mean these big box structures but some of these uh, these large churches uh, out here have these massive almost office building style glass facades on them that let in a ton of light and i'm not necessarily referring to like the stadium churches and those exist as well and they have their own particular rationale behind those um that i i think is is perfectly reasonable to get a larger congregation in there as possible but if you're if you're trying to go for a ton of light pouring into your church i think you would want if you're following that same sensibility to have almost an entirely glass structure if you could pull that off yeah mm-hmm. it, it, it speaks to you know like you you're getting at what is the goal of the architect the master builder what the constraints that they're working with as we've we call that episode hide and light for a reason those are the two goals they were going for they didn't care intrinsically about flying buttresses pointed arches stone uh they those three things just happened to be the thing that let them get the height and light that they wanted and the uh eternalist and yeah and survivability yeah whereas you know if height light survivability is what you care about today uh if you bring the same goals with modern limitations yeah like zach says gonna look massively different taking it back to saint patrick's just one last time here in new york city I'm glad that David brought up the point, you know, the difference between Gothic and Neo-Gothic and how we would anything built exactly the same style, but in the modern day with the same materials we call Neo-Gothic. I honestly have issues with even calling St. Patrick's Neo-Gothic. Oh, boy. I don't think I we don't just think got it all settled and happy. <laughs> well, you see, I bow on it and everything. I, I, I because it is such a deviation from such a deviation it's such a deviation to not use any stone on the interior and the ceiling um i honestly i think i would at least like to call it budget neo-gothic because (laughs) it's it was built to cut so many corners that it 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 completely changes the nature of the building there's a quote here they said that some of the plaster was coming down off the ceiling that you could just grab it with your hand like mush. And it's it's just, it's so... Blasphemous. Blasphemous. Yes, that's exactly what I'm going for. Not in the religious context, just in Tom's sensibility context. Exactly. What other contexts are there? I, 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 and don't get me wrong, New York City. I think St. Patrick's Cathedral is quite beautiful, but you got a plaster cathedral. It's just a travesty. It's beautiful, but a travesty. You love the marble exterior. You just hate the rotten inside. That's a metaphor for something. I don't know. What? Zach, come up with it. What's rotten apple or something? I was hoping something a little bit more controversial than that, but sure, rotten apple. America? No. You guys grew up in New York. <laughs> oh, Not the city. The Big Apple. Oh, Anyone? I, I wasn't trying to riff on New York City. I think New York City's cool. I was trying to say New York City's rotten from the inside out. 
That's mean. Zach, how could you say such a thing about New York City? Yeah, that's blasphemous. Come fight me, New York City. <laughs> all of you. Mountain men, Zach, up there in Denver, Colorado. All, all we of you. All we of you. That's it for now. Check out our podcast website at cathedraltalk.fm. There you will find many architectural visuals and Minecraft goodies. If you would like to support our efforts here at Cathedral Talk to aid in the restoration of Notre Dame, please use the direct link on our website to donate to friendsofnotredamedeparis.org. Friends of Notre Dame is a non-profit organization that is leading the international fundraising efforts to rebuild and restore Notre Dame Cathedral. By donating to them through the link at cathedraltalk.fm, we'll know that our podcast is reaching new patrons. As our own Minecraft project progresses, we'll be sure to share plans, screenshots, and videos for your own visual palette. Good day, and happy building.